John chapter 1, and I originally had planned to uh, finish chapter 1 this morning, but it looks like we're going to need one more week. Um, There's so much here, and I I battle every week with desiring to have a good speed going through here, and uh, at the same time, not just um, skimming and missing some of the rich things that are here. So we'll just go one section at a time. This morning we'll be on verse 35 through verse 42, and this is the third day of this first week of Jesus' ministry. If you remember back in verse 19 through verse 51, the end of chapter 1, we get the first week of Jesus' public ministry. Um, It it takes place at the... um, immediately following his baptism and his temptation, both which are not recorded in the Gospel of John. But it picks up the first day in verse 19 where John is given the testimony about himself, his identity, his authority to baptize. And then day two is where we were last week where John now identifies the one he came to testify to is none other than the man, Jesus. And Last week we saw that he identified Jesus as the Lamb of God, and he identifies him as the Messiah who is anointed with the Spirit, who will baptize others with the Holy Spirit. And really these are two of the central aspects of of the Messiahship of John the Baptist, that, that, that John the Baptist testifies to. He says Jesus is the sacrificial Lamb of God. He would deal with the world's sin problem in a decisive way that hadn't been dealt with this decisively to this point. He would, through his sacrifice, remove the world's guilt, power of sin, guilt of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin from the lives of believers, as we saw last week. And really, um, the only way he could do this is because he is God himself. He is Yahweh. John says he's come to prepare the way of Yahweh. He's the one that ranks superior to John. And only because of that he could be the sacrificial lamb that could satisfy God's demands. So he'd be a Messiah. He would not just be a king-like Messiah. He would be a priest-like Messiah. And he's not just going to be a priest-like Messiah. He's also going to be the sacrifice. So... It's not just part of the Old Testament expectation. It's all the ex- Old Testament expectations are fulfilled in him. That's what John is telling us. So he's not just going to be a sacrificial lamb. On day two, what we saw last week is that his work is also going to include baptizing people with the Holy Spirit. And we said last week that this baptism of the Holy Spirit was what Israel desperately needed. It's what we desperately need it's what um, really the whole Old Testament looked forward to, that the idea of baptism, you need a lot of water to be baptized. And that's the idea of the Spirit. It's not just beginning in, in a little way. It's going to be an abundant outpouring of the Holy Spirit such that God's people are immersed in him. And, um, and we're going to really be unpacking this as we go through the, the Gospel of John. It's one of the big themes of John is that the gift of Messiah is the Spirit to his people. We're going to see the Spirit's work as we go through John. He regenerates. He causes people to be born again. He fills them with the life of God. He frees them from enslavement to sin. He empowers them for the work of God. It's an amazing, an amazing thing. So that all took place in the first two days of 
John the Baptist's ministry. He testifies that he's just a voice, Messiah is coming. Day two, he testifies what kind of Messiah he's going to be. And he's Jesus. And now we come to day three this morning. Um, and the focus begins to shift. It's no longer on John. He's just a pointer. Now that Messiah's on the scene, it's on him. And we're going to see what happens. So look at verse 35 now. This is day three of this first week of John's ministry. <clears throat> verse 35 says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So this is day three, and day three along with day four, what we'll see next week, um, these two days of Christ's ministry really focus in on two things. They're going to unpack for us in more detail the identity of Messiah, just what kind of Messiah he's going to be, just who he is, and it's going to zoom in onto how those who hear the testimony of John should respond to Jesus. What is discipleship? to this one look like. The, these two are really inseparable as we move through these, these two days. Um, the identity of Messiah and discipleship following Messiah. So in this passage, we're going to get six scenes which display the identity of Jesus and the essence of discipleship. And this morning, we're just going to cover the first three of, of these scenes. Yes. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Maybe you covered it last Sunday, but uh, where does the temptation of Jesus come in? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, as far as the, the, day the timeline day. goes. I think it came before this. I don't think John, John does not record the baptism of Jesus, yeah. and he doesn't even record the temptation of Jesus. Yeah. And what we're going to see here as these days unfold, that it's going to end with him going to Galilee, which doesn't happen until following the temptation. So I think all of this happens on the heels of. He's baptized, goes to the wilderness, be tempted, and he returns. And upon his return, his ministry begins. And that's where John picks so it up. begins after the temptation. I think so. It begins after the temptation. John picks up here. And John really gives us insight. None of the other Gospels record this week, this first week of Jesus. It's very significant. And we're going to get some uh, pretty good background. You know, that just shows so, you how yep. God putting the, the four Gospels together uh, and how different they are, but yet that they record different Yep. 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 And each of the writers have a, have a goal, that, what, what they're after, and yeah. specifically John here, and what he's going to teach us about the, uh, about the personal things. So, um, welcome. We have seats here. If you want to grab a seat, uh, feel free to come on. You, you will not interrupt us, so feel free to grab a seat here. 
So this morning we're going to get the first three of these uh, six scenes that's going to unfold until the conclusion of this chapter. Um, and in each of these scenes, we're going to see a pattern that, that repeats. It always begins with something very, someone bearing witness to Jesus, someone testifying to Jesus in each of these six scenes. And then the people that have been born witness to come to Jesus, or they're brought to Jesus. And then in each of these instances, Jesus initiates the conversation. So people come to him or are brought to him, and he initiates the conversation. And then, and each time he initiates it, he reveals something about himself, and he reveals something about discipleship in each of these six scenes. So this morning we're going to see three of them. It's very intentional on John's part. So we've already read the passage. So look at that first scene that, that we have there. Discipleship to Jesus is the only proper response to John's testimony. Verses 35 through 37. Look at verse 35. We're told that John is standing again on the next day and two of his disciples are with him, it says. Now, John had disciples. His disciples were the people who had submitted to his message. They had come to him for baptism. They, they received his message of repentance and they've received his teaching and they, they're, they're staying with him. They're learning from him. Uh, we find out later in the Gospel of John that John had many disciples. But we've also seen that John's mission was not to gather disciples for himself. He had come to testify to another. Um, and so look at verse 36. He does this very thing. And he watches Jesus as he passes by and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. He repeats his message from the day before. Behold the Lamb of God. And before we even move on, I just want to think about why does John, out of all the titles he could have picked about Christ, why does he repeat this one? Why doesn't he say, Behold the one who baptizes with the Spirit? Why doesn't he say, Behold the Messiah? Why doesn't he say, Behold the one God anointed? Why doesn't he say any of the other things? Why does he pick this one? think it's because this is the one that summarizes all the others. This is the foundational work of the Messiah. There is no baptism of the Spirit without his being the Lamb of God. There is no reigning as a king over a kingdom without him dying as substitutionary death. Who is he going to reign over <laughs> if it's not for his sacrifice? This is it. This is what summarizes Messiah. He's the Lamb of God. And that's what John does. He points away from himself to Messiah and now the question is, if John's message and purpose was to point to another, and here he declares that Jesus is God's lamb to two of his disciples that are standing with him, then what does it look like to be a true disciple of John? What does it look like to be a person who truly grasps John's message about Jesus? Well, it looks like verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. They heard, and they followed. In other words, there is only one proper response to the testimony of John the Baptist. There's only one response that proves you've embraced the testimony of John. And it isn't merely acceptance of information. 
It says they heard and they followed. As we're going to see in this passage, John, the gospel writer, John, loves double meanings. He does it all through his gospel. He does it here. In one sense, they follow in the most mundane sense of the word. They start walking behind Jesus. But in the gospel of John, the word follow is a key discipleship word. Um, chapter 8, verse 12 says, again, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so while these men are simply walking toward Jesus, John is saying they're actually taking the first steps of discipleship. It begins here. So this first scene tells us there's only one proper response to John's testimony, and it's discipleship after Jesus. Discipleship is not for a higher level of Christianity, as is often falsely taught. It is what faith in John's message looks like. The way we know we've truly embraced John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who baptizes with the Spirit, he's the Messiah. How do I know I've truly embraced it? It's not just that I know it. It's not just that I can repeat it. It's just not, not that I can talk about it, even say I believe it. It's what? It's when it results in following Jesus. I move from John to Jesus. The disciples here don't know much. You're going to see they um, have a lot of room to grow. But they are acting on what they know. They know John's testimony, and they evidence their faith in John's testimony by following Jesus. And we must respond in the same way to John's declaration, the Lamb of God, by following Christ. And you say, well, Michael, what does that mean to follow Jesus? What does that look like? That's what the rest of uh, these verses in chapter 1 are about. So let's look at the next scene he shows us. Second scene tells us that Jesus will give spiritual sight to his devoted followers. Look at verses 38 and 39. So John testifies. Two of the disciples that hear him respond to it. They start following Jesus. They start walking behind Jesus. And Jesus knows they're coming. And he turns around and engages them. Look what he says. Says they're following, and he knows they're following. He turns, sees them, and he says, What are you seeking? And on a surface level, again, that this question is quite natural. Someone's walking towards you, you're probably gonna say, What's up? What do you want? What do you need? Um, it's a pretty pretty natural question here. But on another level, this is the question that Jesus asks every would-be follower of him. What are you seeking? What are you after? What are you seeking in life? What are you pursuing? What are you coming to Jesus for, ultimately? People seek Jesus for all kinds of reasons, don't they? What are some of those? Do you think of any? Why do people come to Jesus? Right reasons and wrong reasons. What are some? Do you think of any? Huh? For food. For food. We see that in chapter 6, right? And uh, I'll give you the verse here. Chapter 6, 26, Jesus says, I say to you, you are seeking me. So these people are seeking him, not because you saw signs, 
but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Not because you got the point of the signs that they point to me. You got full bellies. So there's right and wrong ways to say Jesus, right? I want the stuff you can give, right? What are some other ways people people seek Jesus? Yeah. For healing. For healing, right? Yep. Yep. I want your healing. Good. Anything else? Purpose in life. Purpose in life. Yep. Meaning, significance. Yep. Health, wealth, prosperity. We talked about that last week. Is there anything wrong with health? Is there anything wrong with provision? Is there anything wrong with purpose and significance? No. But we're going to see that that is not what ought to be the ultimate driver of our purpose to come to Jesus. And actually, our purpose for seeking Jesus will be exposed um, as we as we move on here. So people come to Jesus for all kinds of reasons, but one's reason for coming to Jesus is of utmost importance. Really is. It's not enough just to seek him, just to follow him for any reason whatsoever. It must be for the right reasons. <clears throat> the crowd. <clears throat> yes. Curiosity. 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 Yeah. Almost entertainment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you said, you know, what did you come to see? Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, and there's that whole like a piper or you know, you blow, you blow the Yeah. Yep, that's right. Come to him with your own expectations that, that he would live up to those. And it's good. Yep. So Jesus initiates here, um, just like he's going to do in each of these scenes. He gets to the heart of the matter. He goes right after it. What are you seeking? You're coming to me. What are you ultimately after in life? And the disciples here, the, ne- the, the next point here, they model for us a correct res- pursuit. Disciples are going to show us what it really should look like. Look what they say first. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. The two disciples here are not simply saying that Jesus is a teacher. He's a rabbi. They're calling him their rabbi. They said to him, Rabbi. Rabbi is an expression of honor. It was used of a person who is... Ex, uh, experienced and able to expound and teach the word of God. It was a very high title of honor. Um, it's also what disciples used of their teacher. So we'll see when we get to chapter 3, the disciples of John called John Rabbi. Um, it, was a, it was a title of discipleship. So the first thing to note here is that by calling Jesus Rabbi, it's not a, a low title. They're not saying you're just a teacher. I don't think that's what's going on here. They're not denying that he is all those things that John declared about him. They're simply expressing their belief that he has teaching that's worth hearing, and they want to be his disciple. They want to learn from him. And so he says, what are you seeking? And they're saying, we want to be your disciples. We want to submit ourselves to your teaching. We want to learn from you. It's pretty interesting that this title of Jesus as rabbi carries all the way through to when he's raised from the dead. Do you remember what Mary Magdalene says the moment she recognizes Jesus after he being raised? What does she call him? She says to him, Rabboni, which means teacher in Aramaic, right? Same title. It's a confession of a disciple. Submit myself to your teaching. That's the first aspect of a correct pursuit. But then look what else they say. 
They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, of all they could have asked Jesus, <laughs> why did they ask him this? So Jesus says, what are you seeking? They say, what's your address? Where, where are you located? Where are you at? So it's sort of strange, and we think, well, what's going on here? Why would they do that? But I think this question models for us a correct pursuit of Christ. Something very good about the disciples' pursuit. Think about it. If Jesus is who John proclaimed him to be, if he is the Lamb of God, if he is the Messiah, if he is the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit, then one would not be satisfied with just a quick exchange with him. It's not enough. Just come and, and, and see him. Okay, Lamb of God, good to know you. I'm just going to move along now on my, on my merry way. The disciples here ask where he is staying because they are seeking to know this Jesus that John proclaimed more fully. They want to spend time with him. They want to know what all this means that John declared about him. They want to see what, what this means for my life, how it should change me. If he is all of this, then we must give our lives to know him and live the implications of his personality day to day. day. Life. That's what the disciples are, are saying here. You know, another thing, Mike. So, yeah. Um, he uh, he's saying here. Uh, you know, you know. I'm not. You know, it's not a residence. It's not a. Um, you know, like I'm at the Hilton or yeah. that kind of thing. And the thing is, later he says the foxes have holes, mm -hmm. the birds they had nowhere else yep. to lay their heads. And and the thing is that when they follow him, I mean, they're they're just camping out in the sure. in the in the wilds yep. and the you know, they're not staying in luxury uh, type places. So <laughs> it, does, it doesn't have any meaning with that. that when we first read that, we sure. kind of look at, you know, you know, hey, you know yeah. it's just going to be kind of nice for me to follow huh. you. And yep, it's good. It's good. So, yeah, wrapped up in there, just the implications of discipleship. Yeah, what it means to, to follow him. You go where he is. Yeah. Follow him wherever. Yep, it's good. Um. John Calvin comments on these verses saying how many people are satisfied with just a bare passing look of Christ. They come to him, they see him, they're good, and they go along the way. He says they come and they only sniff at the gospel. That's how he puts it. But a true disciple embraces the testimony of John. And because of that, he submits his life to Jesus as his teacher, seeking to know what Jesus proclaims, and he's not satisfied with the passing look. He wants to know him, spend time with him, grow in these implications of all that John has declared about him. Think back to chapter 1, verse, verse 12. Do you remember what it said? It says, to as many as what? Received, received what? Received yeah. him. Not just as many as received forgiveness of sins, as many as received yeah. healing, as many as received significance in life, as many as received him. Coming to Jesus is a receiving of all that he is, all that he's spoken, all that he accomplished, a receiving of him. And that's what the disciples do. And then look at verse 39. He responds with a profound promise. And he said to them, come and you will see. Notice that his answer has a command, come, and a promise, you will see. Again, there's a surface level 
um, to this statement, and there's a deeper level to this statement. On one level, Jesus is simply inviting them to come and see the place that he's, that he's staying. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. But on another level, Jesus here promises a spiritual sight to the disciples who commit to him. You say, well, how do you know that, Michael? Well, because this word come in the Gospel of John is another one of these discipleship words. This whole section is packed with these key discipleship words. We've already seen follow, seek, rabbi, remain, and then we get this other one, come. It's everywhere in John as a synonym for genuine faith. To believe in Jesus is to come to him. And the way you come to Jesus is by faith and all that he is and all that he has spoken. Look over at chapter 7, verse 37. <clears throat> 737. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What does that mean? Verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In other words, saving faith is not just belief about a fact, although that's a part it is a coming to and a receiving of a person. As many as received him to those who did what? Who believed on his name. What does it mean to believe? It means to receive. Well, how do you receive? You do it by faith. So John is saying, he's, he's unpacking for us the essence of faith, the essence of discipleship. It is a taking of all that Christ is for one's greatest treasure. In one's life, you're embracing Christ. You're coming to him. Jesus says, come. And then he gives his promise. Look what he says. And you will see. Jesus is saying that as they come to him to be his disciples, they'll not only see where he's staying, but they will see his person in greater glory. Look over at verses 50, back in chapter 1, verse 50 and 51, where this promise is given, is fulfilled. We'll see this next week. Jesus answered him. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see. There it is again. You will see greater things. Truly I say to you, you will see heaven open and the son of the angels ascending and descending on the son of man. We'll talk about that next week, just what's going on there. But the point is, Jesus says, God, come to me. And if you come, you will see. I will give you spiritual sight of me and my glory that you've never seen before. So the disciples here don't have a full, complete view of Christ. Um, they know a little bit from what they've heard from John the Baptist, um, but they're responding to what they do know. They respond correctly. They act on it in faith, and to them, Jesus promises greater sight of his of his person. So before we move on, I just want to unpack a couple of just implications from this. What, what implications from this command to come and this promise see can we pull out for our lives? 
One of the aims of John's gospel, especially the first half of this gospel we're going to see, is to highlight the differences between true faith, true saving faith, and false faith. True discipleship versus false discipleship. Faith is mentioned in every pericope, every, every section of, this, uh, of these four, first four chapters. John's very intentional. And what's very encouraging here about the disciples is that they don't know a lot. <laughs> it's small, it's little faith. Um, they don't know as much as they will know, that's for sure. But they're acting in faith on what they do know. And that's what Jesus demands. That's what he demands from them. It's what he demands from, from us. So the point is, we must not wait around until we can understand all the complexities of the Trinity, all the ins and outs of the substitutionary atonement, um, all the mysteries of the Holy Spirit and how he works in the hearts of Christ before we believe him. We must simply receive what we know and cast ourselves on it in dependence and faith. And it's as we do that, that we will come to know him and see him in greater, greater glory. Yes. Last week we had said about how the Spirit works differently in the Old Covenant or Old Testament, where it seemed like the Spirit descended and then was removed. You know, David said, "Take not your Spirit from me." Were the disciples receiving a Spirit in some measure different? Obviously, Pentecost hasn't happened, Mm -hmm. and we have the gift of the Spirit. Jesus said it will be better that I go because the Spirit will come. So are the disciples given a specific, like a special measure of the Spirit for following Jesus? Is it, how does, I mean, do we see that anywhere? I, I don't think the Spirit is given in a new covenant sense until the resurrection of Christ, until, until Pentecost. Um, but clearly in the Old Testament, the Spirit was working. Anyone that came to faith in the Old Testament came to faith because of regeneration. The Spirit did something in their hearts. It just wasn't done in wide-scale Israel, number one, and it wasn't done um, in a New Covenant sense. And we'll, we'll unpack all that as, as we go on. It's a good question. Because, yeah, we're basic, basically, this right here is basically still Old Covenant. It's still Old Covenant, yeah. yeah old covenant. Jesus is beginning, it's starting, the, the, the transition is, is happening it's happening here. And so, um, so the point John is making here, Christ is making, is that faith is essential to behold the glory of Christ. You're not going to behold his glory until you trust him. Spurgeon compared it to a man who refused to eat until he understood the complexities of digestion. <laughs> Pretty foolish, right? Um, Rather, the call is to come. See, Christ is the meal spread before you that you desperately need. And banquet, feast on him, trust him, cast yourselves in dependence on him. And as you do that, you'll see. Your eyes will be opened more and more to his glory. That What he's going to do for his disciples in verse 50 and 51. Come, and you'll see. <clears throat> There's a lot more we could we could say here. But let's go on to the... The next point um, to this statement, um, the disciples respond. So they, Jesus says, "What are you seeking?" They say, "What are you saying?" He says, "Come and see, you'll see." And they respond, and look what it says: They went and they saw, and they remained. Um, it's another one of those key discipleship words. They remained literally. They just stay. It says they remained. They remained in the sense that they lodged him. 
with him for the night. But they also remained in the sense that they followed Jesus and they persevered as his disciples. This is the most decisive ingredient we'll see in the Gospel of John for true discipleship. It's what distinguishes true from false disciples. They remain. They not only desire, desire to be with Jesus and learn from Jesus, they not only come to him, they not only see him and grow in their knowledge of him, they remain with him. One author said, the validity of our faith is revealed not by the intensity of our first reaction to it, reaction to the gospel, but by our perseverance in it. That's so encouraging. As I look back over my life, I, I, I'll give my testimony as we go through the Gospel of John, but I don't know when it was. There's, there's mountain peaks of times that it looks like God was working in my heart, and I look back at day one, what I know now is nothing in comparison to what I, what I know then, but how, how do I know that was real? It's because I'm still in it. I'm still, I'm still believing. How do I know that I'm alive? It's not by going back to a birth certificate. It's because I'm breathing. I, I'm living. How do you know you're a disciple? It's not because you made a profession back then. But the evidence that profession was real is that you're continuing. You're trusting. You're submitting your life to him day by day. Keep your eyes on him. The disciples' faith is going to grow. It's small here, but the more they come to know about Christ, it's going to be evidence because they persevere with them. Whereas the crowds, the more they learn about Christ, what happens? They take off. They say, we, it's a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And they left it. So let's move on to the, the third final scene we're going to see this morning. We're pretty much out of time. Jesus will radically transform the identity of his disciples. Verse 40 through 42. We get insight here into who these disciples are. One of them is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. The other disciple is unnamed. Uh, most people think it's the gospel writer, John himself. Um, and again, this gives us insight into, you think, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is going along in Galilee and calls his disciples, follow me. Well, this gives us insight into what happened even before that. These people had a relationship with Christ before he called them in Galilee. And within these two days, Jesus is going to gain five of his eventual 12 disciples. Andrew, Philip, Peter, Nathaniel, and possibly John. And look what, what happens. Andrew goes and finds Peter, his brother. Personal testimony takes place in each of these scenes, highlighting it's another element of genuine discipleship. Andrew tells Peter, we found the Messiah. Look at verse 32. This is, the, this is the main focus. We get the declaration of Jesus to Peter. Just like all the other sections, Jesus here initiates the conversation. Notice vocal Peter who's talking everywhere. He doesn't say a word in this section. <laughs> Jesus is doing it. Jesus looks intently at him. And look what he says. So you are Simon the son of John. He reveals he has comprehensive knowledge of Peter before Peter knows anything of him. He knows him in and out. But he doesn't just know his identity. He also will transform it. Look what he says next. He says, you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. Jesus is not simply declaring what Peter will become. He's declaring what he will do with Peter. God often changes the names of individuals in the Old Testament. Think of Abraham. 
He changed his name to Abraham, which means what? The father of many nations. Before Abraham was ever the father of many nations. He declares here what he will make of Peter before Peter is ever a rock. Jesus is not simply predicting what will become of Peter. He's declaring what he will make him to be as a disciple. So what does that mean for us? It means that anything I am, anything I'll ultimately be as a disciple is the result of Christ and his work. Jesus doesn't simply invite his disciples and leave them on their own. He is active at work in them. He has a plan for them, what he will make them to be, and he will do it. Jesus here calls us what he purposes us to become, not what we've already become. He calls Peter rock way before Peter was ever rock. It's encouraging. He has a plan for each of us. There was a plan for Peter. There was no other Peter. It was a unique plan for Peter. He transforms the identity of his, of his disciples the moment there it is. And for the rest of our lives, he'll be working that out, bringing us to completion in whatever comes to, to us in our lives. It's a wonderful, wonderful Savior. So he not only gives his disciples spiritual sight, he transforms our identity. For the rest of our lives, he's at work to make us into that very thing. He's a wonderful Savior, and discipleship is is the greatest thing in in life. So, this passage, we learn, we get more insight about Christ's identity. We're getting insight into what it looks like to be a disciple of his. It's 1018. Um, Went a little over. Any comments, questions on this? Um, Next week, we'll be on day four. Finish chapter one, and you'll continue to unpack discipleship, and you'll continue to unpack and conclude with this climactic Revelation of his person in verse 50 and 51. It's amazing. It really is. So any any, any thoughts? Yes? It is when they are, when Andrew goes and tells Simon, who doesn't say I found a new teacher. Mm. I mean, he cuts right to the chase. Yeah. I mean, he obviously was a good disciple of John. And yeah. He took it all on board, but mm. I guess he realized that there's a, there can be a gulf between mm. an initial realization and then walking through that. It's good. You know? Yeah. Because every one of them ended up falling away from it. Yeah. And then coming back. That's right. I got straight. That's right. right. What's very unique here is that they declare Messiah in all the other Gospels. They don't declare Messiah until way later. And so I don't think it's a contradiction. I think they recognize here from the testimony of John, they don't grasp much at all of the significance of what Messiah means and what kind of Messiah. A suffering Messiah. They don't get it fully yet. But yet they respond of what they know, they trust, and Jesus says, you'll see. And as they go through discipleship, he's going to show them more and more and more. And, uh, and there's growth. And again, that's evidence that they've come to know him. But, but yeah, they, they stumble and falter and fall. And yet they're not in the same category as the Pharisees. They're not in the same category as the crowd. Uh, they submit to him. And they grow. It's called us. Follow what you know of him. Don't wait for those more experiences to come. They come as we submit to what we already know and trust him and bow to him and love him. So. Any other thoughts? Questions? All right, let me pray. Father, thank you for teaching us, Lord. We confess that we are fumbling, faltering disciples. 
Yet you're patient. There's comfort because the only reason we've come to you in the first place is that you've come to us first of all. You've transformed our identity. You have a plan. You're working out to make us into the very thing you've already declared us to be. A wonderful Savior, a wonderful Messiah. And we ask that you help us to come every day. It's not just coming once. It's living at this fountain and growing in our knowledge of you. Prepare us for the service to come, we pray in Jesus' name. All right. You guys are dismissed. Be reading ahead. Try to...